0: Welcome to Go Green Radio. I am so glad that you could all join us today because we're going to be talking about a subject that we've covered before from a variety of angles, but really um, we're going to dive in deep to the subject of water and water efficiency, you know, right after clean air one of our most basic human needs is clean water and plenty of it and so today we're talking with Mary Ann Dickinson of the Alliance for Water Efficiency and we're going to be talking about a variety of water issues that uh, are so elemental, so fundamental to uh, not just you know what we drink and the crops that we grow but also for industry, for our economy. It's just critically important. Welcome to Go Green Radio, Marianne. Glad you could join us.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: You know, I'd love for you to give us an overview of why the Alliance for Water Efficiency was established a few years ago. Why was there a need for an organization like this?
2: Well, you know, it's hard to believe that as late as 2005, we didn't have any kind of national organization, nonprofit or otherwise, that dealt with the issue of wise water use. Uh, We've had a history, at least 30 years' worth, of a lot of Energy efficiency organizations, but we've never had any organization that was focusing on water efficiency. It's it's kind of perplexing. Um, it I think has to do with a lack of national awareness that this is an important topic. Um, but as we took a look at. Um, this issue, we realized that there's really no national or even uh, comprehensive set of state policies on water efficiency for the most part around the country. There's certainly a lack of public awareness that water efficiency is something people should even consider. Uh, We knew that those communities that were in supply shortages were needing technical assistance and help on water conservation programs, so there was a need for that. Uh, We knew that somebody needed to be an advocate for sustainable water use uh, in this country. So we decided um, in 2006 to pull together a wide range of water-using stakeholders, and we put together a board and filed for non-profit status. And Mayor Daley invited us to come to Chicago, so we opened our office on September 1st, 2007, in Chicago. And since then, we've developed a membership base of about 350 different organizations that work with us on water efficiency issues. It, they represent cities, water suppliers, environmental and energy groups, uh, universities, manufacturers and business retailers, Um In short, anyone that the water efficiency issue issue touches in some way, shape, or form. So we are assembling everyone together in this network. We've decided to call it the Alliance for Water Efficiency because we are an alliance. And as our first task, we built a comprehensive website of water efficiency information. That was our first big project. So check it out at allianceforwaterefficiency.org
0: it is a great website and i see that you know there are lots of opportunities for you to continue building in fact i saw on the website, uh, a call for great sustainable water use case studies and an invitation for people to uh, share with you and and potentially your website viewers their success stories. So I definitely want to reference that website several times throughout the show and make sure that our listeners get a chance to check it out. Again, it is allianceforwaterefficiency.org. You know, a few weeks ago, I had on Go Green Radio, Dr. Robert Glennon, and I'll bet you know about his book. It's called Unquenchable. Yep. He, well, it's funny because, you know, he was on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart when the book (laughs) first came out, and uh, it's, it's a scream, but he was a great guest. And one of the things that we discussed, we discussed a lot of things, but we talked about how throughout the U.S. there are a number of different instances in which downstream states are suing upstream states over water issues like pollution, uh, supply, a, a number of different issues like this. And it's not just, you know, people think of that as sort of a southwest issue, you know, that California, Colorado and Arizona are all going at it, Nevada. It's not just those states. I mean, he was talking about states in the southeast as well. I'm wondering if the Alliance for Water Efficiency somehow can get involved in those issues? Do you help states work together on water issues outside of just going at each other in a courtroom?
2: Well, as as those who are involved in, in these water disputes know, uh, conflicts over water are a blood sport in this country, mm-hmm. and um, one of the reasons that we wanted to form our alliance, and we are a 501c3 nonprofit, was we were hoping to avoid... Uh, situations of litigation and hoping to be inputting at the at the early part of the water discussions where water efficiency can be a role can play a role in reducing water conflict um, because we are a nonprofit. We are required to be an educational organization. Um, we are not a litigant, so we are not like uh, organizations like the Natural Resources Defense Council or the Environmental Defense Fund. We we exist as a as a support uh, organization to provide information, the latest research, and to to basically be spearheading a movement of efficient water use that. Hopefully, in the long run, will help avoid a lot of these uh, conflicts between states. But we are increasingly seeing them. Um, we are uh, providing information to people who ask for it, and we're hoping that uh, in in this sort of um, neutral role, we can we can serve a useful purpose.
0: Well, I think that would be great. I mean, it is kind of um, it's kind of troubling to see states or even within states. I mean, we see this, of course, in California, as you well know. When there's a water shortage, all of a sudden, partisan politics uh, plays a, a backseat to north and south conflicts—the <laughs> water from the north and and those who want it in the south. So, uh, I think that that would be great if you if you all can help to smooth that that situation have a little bit. Is speaking of my home state of California. You know, I've seen this happen many times over as we go through drought periods of time, the general public all of a sudden becomes very aware uh, of the scarcity of water and uh, the preciousness of water as a resource. And for a time, you see the general population appreciating water in a new way at least to some extent. But the minute that the headlines read that the reservoirs are full and we've had enough rainfall to get back to uh, pre-drought conditions, everybody kind of just forgets about water. And I'm wondering, from your perspective, Marianne, how is it? And you alluded to this earlier in the show. How is it that we get the U.S. you know mainstream, everyday American population to appreciate the water situation that we're in when? gosh, you know, we can turn on the tap and get as much water as we want. How do we educate the public to the extent that it creates some sort of behavior change?
2: Oh, this is a vexing problem that we think about every day. Um, we have become spoiled in this country. We have the safest, uh drinking water supplies in the world and the cheapest drinking water supplies in the world. And it has resulted in a culture of taking all of that completely for granted. In fact, although consumers complain about the prices of water, they'll pay 10,000 times more for that same quantity of water if it's in a bottle than it comes <laughs> yes. from the tap. We have some serious awareness issues in this country and the example that you give of when it rains and the reservoir's full, everybody forgets about the need to conserve. That is so true. In fact the planners have a name for it. They call it the hydro illogical cycle. (laughs) <laughs> um, that the, the need to pay attention to wise water use only kicks in when, when water is suddenly not as available as before um, it's part of human nature and so what we really need to do is figure out uh, different ways to, to educate and to motivate our customers um I think one of the problems we have is that the customer the typical customer is not aware of, of where they use water and how much water they use. Um if you ask the average customer on the street, market research surveys show that they think they family of four uses about twenty five gallons for the whole household. Per day, And that's just orders of magnitude wrong. Um, mm-hmm. The average American uses at least 100 gallons per person per day. In many areas of the West, it, it approaches 200 gallons per person per day or more. Uh, but yet you take a country like Australia, a Western economy just like ours, and their per capita consumption is more like 45 gallons per person per day so we could get to be lower both indoor and outdoor water use we just need to work on it and we need to educate our customers as to where that water is is going they typically don't realize that their uh, irrigation systems use water their toilets flush a lot of water they tend to only think of the water that they use in the shower or the water that they use when they turn on the, the, the tap in the uh, kitchen so we have a, a large educational assignment to to undertake here at the Alliance to uh, turn this around so that um, habits of sustainable water use will become commonplace and not part of this hydrological cycle. well
0: you know it's funny you know I run a nonprofit organization myself the Go Green initiative um, and and it's a, an environmental education program that works with schools and one of the things that you know, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit—the uh, the nexus between water and energy. One of the things that I find so surprising, and this was even my experience as a product of public education my whole life, is that there was never a time when I was taught the basic systems about how, you know, how things work in order to deliver the things I need for survival. I was never taught how water systems work. I was never taught how. Uh, energy systems work, how they work together. And, you know, one of the most basic elemental principles of a democracy is ensuring that our electorate, our population has the requisite knowledge to, to intelligently engage in these kinds of public policy decisions and yep. you know maybe even run for elective office. But when our public education systems are not providing that basic information about how the systems around us work, I think that that creates a real vacuum um, to the extent that when we're trying to educate consumers when they're already 40, 50, 60 years old, what have you, uh, it's a much more difficult proposition position than if kids grow up learning how not just the natural world and math and science work, but also how the systems in their own backyard work. Um, and, and I'd like to see uh, uh, more of that kind of education going on. And I don't know how the Alliance is, is positioned on that, but are you guys looking to work with
2: public schools? Yes actually we we will be launching early next year a consumer media campaign which also I think will be very useful for school education purposes and we'll be launching a website called home waterworks that will I think be a terrific aid to teachers as well as the average um, residential uh, water ratepayer, um, I, I think the kind of information that we haven't been giving our customers is information that, that desperately needs to be provided. Um, I, I think our school campaigns have been simple in the past. They have said, just turn off the water when you brush your teeth. That's the <laughs> yeah. tip we give our kids. It's the standard flagship tip uh... That comes out of the school education programs and it 's an important tip, certainly it, it points to behavioral change, but that 's not where most of the water is is being used in the, in the house and so what we really need to do is educate our customers not only on where their water comes from that backyard river watershed those uh, water resources that they care about in other environments are the very same ones that provide their water supply. That linkage needs to be made better. Um state of Texas has adopted a campaign called Water IQ, which has as its basic premise that an educated water user who knows where their water is actually coming from, what that local water source is that is supplying their drinking water, that educated customer is much more likely to be stewardship-oriented and to conserve that water if they have a fundamental understanding of the environmental issues around that water supply. And that's a very important lesson for the rest of us around the country. We need to make sure that that understanding is made more clear.
0: I agree. Well, we've got to take a quick commercial break, but we're going to be back with Marianne Dickinson, the president and CEO of the Alliance for Water Efficiency, right after this quick break. So don't go anywhere, folks. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this.
1: News, Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Take a wild guess, how much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%?
0: Take a moment to give a big shout-out to all my tweets out there. Thank you guys for following me, on, following me on Twitter. If you'd like to do the same, you can follow me at, at @jillbuck, and we have a good time. You can also check out our Facebook page, and if you want to get to that, the best way to do it is just to go to my website, which is gogreeninitiative.org, and when you look at our homepage, you'll see all the social media stuff that we have going on. If you want to get to our Facebook page and join us, We have people from literally 67 countries involved in our Facebook page, having a great discussion. Uh, We use Google Translate when we can't understand each other right off the bat, but we have some great conversations going that you don't want to miss. So check out our Facebook page there, our Go Green Face Space is what it's called. Well, today we are joined by our guest, Marianne Dickinson, the president and CEO of an organization called the Alliance for Water Efficiency. You can check out their website if you want to follow along as we're interviewing Marianne. And don't close this tab in your web browser. Keep listening to us on voiceamerica.com, but you can open a new tab in your web browser and go to www.allianceforwaterefficiency.org. Well, before the break, we were talking with Marianne about how to get everyday Americans and water consumers on board with this idea that we really do need to be efficient with our water use and sustainable with, with our water use, but, in fact, A lot of water issues are matters of public policy and not just consumer behavior. Marianne, how do you convince politicians to devote resources to water efficiency projects and infrastructure You know, when their constituents are more interested in headline issues like occupy this and that and debt and bailouts and war and things like that? It's not very sexy for a politician to say, hey, vote for me. I'm going to revamp your sewer system. How do you get politicians on board with this?
2: It's hard. It's uh, it's very difficult to portray this as an issue that's a a crisis issue, and right now no one is really spending national resources on this topic. Um, If you look at the individual states, probably California is the is the leader among the states in that it does provide and has in the past provided state funds for water efficiency programs, but still less than 1% of what it funds yearly in energy efficiency programs. So even the leader is uh, not funding it very much. Uh, we basically have no federal policies or incentives. We've given billions for energy efficiency incentives in this country. We have yet to approve our first national incentive on water efficiency. So right now in the political community, we don't have a great perception that this is an important issue and that it provides important national value. Uh, yet we have an infrastructure uh, problem in this country, and we have uh, infrastructure bills that we'll be paying. Um, the stimulus bill that was put together in 2009 the american recovery and reinvestment act uh, had funding for a whole lot of programs including uh, infrastructure but it had almost no funding for water efficiency if you look at the statistics 787 billion dollars of that stimulus package uh, 68 billion went for energy efficiency 105 billion for infrastructure but the water piece of that was only 6 billion only 2 billion of it for drinking water and a small fraction of that 2 billion could be available for water efficiency, but most states did not spend it that way. Um, Even the EPA WaterSense program, which is a label for water-efficient products in the marketplace, that's underfunded. It gets about a 20th of the funding that the uh, Energy Star program gets. So there isn't a good perception in uh, the federal government or even state governments that water efficiency is a priority, and that's part of the reason why we were were formed. We felt this was a need we needed to address.
0: So tell me, what is wrong with our nation's infrastructure when it comes to water? I mean, what changes need to be made? Um, What's the status of our current infrastructure for
2: water? Well, EPA did an interesting study back in 2002, uh, and they analyzed what our infrastructure needs would be by the year 2020, and they identified that the amount of money that was available in local water supply systems uh, and the actual need for infrastructure rehabilitation and expansion was hugely disparate, that there was a gap of $533 billion in between what was needed and what funding was actually available. This was for both drinking water systems and clean water systems, sewer systems. So we have an infrastructure uh, in this country for drinking water and for uh, sanitation, for wastewater treatment that needs to be maintained and needs to be expanded with our growing population and we're not getting the money to do that uh in in the normal traditional ways there's a big gap in that funding and primarily what i'm figuring out here is that there's never going to be federal money to close this gap like we had in the past the stimulus bill was our chance to do that we didn't do that uh we mm-hmm. didn't fund this infrastructure need with the american um you know recovery and reinvestment act so we are likely never to have that funding going forward and we're going to need to have the ratepayers fund this and if Uh, This funding is not, uh, this investment is not made. We will end up with uh, an infrastructure crisis in this country, and uh, the solutions will be very, very expensive. But ironically, we we actually do have the money somewhere to pay for this. Uh, Charles Fishman uh, is the author of a book called The Big Thirst, which has the uh, sexy subtitle of The Secret Life and Turbulent Future of Water. (laughs) And uh, this is a terrific book, Um, and in his book he points out the attitudes that people have about water, why they take it for granted, and the misconceptions about why they think they pay too much for it. And one of the things he points out is that we, in 2009, we paid $21 billion a year, uh, that year, for bottled water. And that's roughly the amount per year that this infrastructure gap, is it, it, mm-hmm. if we if we were investing the money we are spending on bottled water, if we instead just did that same investment in our country's infrastructure, we we would we would be made whole. Um, but that's not how we are thinking about it in this country. The, the consumer who buys bottled water is buying it because they don't necessarily have faith in their local public water supply system, and that's a tragedy. We do have the cleanest drinking water in the world, and um, that infrastructure we should not let that fall apart. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's really is
0: something to be proud of. You mentioned that in an earlier segment. We should be proud of this achievement. I mean, a lot of countries do not have uh, the kind of access to clean, cheap, you know, drinking water that's healthy. It's a national treasure, and we really ought not let it fall to pieces. You know, let's switch gears for just a little bit because this is a topic that really intrigues me, um, and that's the nexus between energy and water, Uh you know when you talk about uh, all the constituencies with big oil natural gas fracking and solar companies and their bankruptcy issues energy issues really do get a lot of headlines and so a lot of everyday americans can can articulate reasons why our country should become less dependent on foreign energy sources why we should be more energy efficient as you mentioned there's a lot of funding going into that but the amazing thing to me is that there's such a linear relationship between energy use and water use yet a lot of people don't understand how becoming more efficient with water use could actually help us become more energy independent. And I'd love for you to spend some time, Marianne, educating our listeners on
2: this very important nexus between energy and water. Okay. This is a topic near and dear to my heart. Um we we have a slogan here at the Alliance, Saving Water Saves Energy. And that's usually not obvious to most consumers, and it wasn't really until recently that statistics started to be compiled on what that all was about. Um, we have long realized that you can't generate electricity without having cooling water in that process. And uh, the nation's statistics uh, most recently issued by the uh, uh, U.S. Geological Survey is that 49% of the nation's water withdrawals are used for power plant cooling. So you need water to make electricity. You mm-hmm. also need water for other forms of energy like fracking, as you mentioned. Uh, so water is a needed component in generating electricity. Um, but on the other hand, water utilities need electricity to pump and treat the water that they deliver. Mm-hmm. Consumers in their households use energy to heat hot water that they use every day. Um, And California was the first state in 2005 to take a look at this issue and to try to estimate what the connection of water and energy was in California. And they found, uh, astoundingly, that 19% of their state's electric energy load was related to the pumping, treatment, movement, and heating of water. And that 32%, almost a third of their gas load, was related to heating of that hot water. Uh These are amazing numbers that no one realized before the california research uh was undertaken and Now we've got similar research underway in states around the country uh The range can be anywhere from two thousand to twenty thousand kilowatt hours for every million gallons of water that's produced in a system and pumped around um wow what that's it's huge. a lot it's yeah. huge significant yeah. huge. So uh, how much of that might be a national number? Well, recent estimates, and we need to verify these uh, with some research, but we are thinking that uh, water is about 13% of the U.S. electric energy equivalent load or about 15% of the U.S. carbon load that is produced. So definitely water and energy are connected. Um, Now, what does this mean for the consumer? What, What does the average consumer need to do differently? You think about your hot water that you use in your house, um, saving hot water in particular saves not only the energy that's needed to pump the water to you as a consumer and treat it, it also saves the heating of the hot water in your house, so it's a double a double bonus. Um, and if you have a hot water tank that's kind of far from where your showers are, you'll find, most people, you know, document this, that they wait, you know, three, four, five minutes for that hot water to actually get to the bathroom. And so they're wasting all of that water as well, which is full of this embedded energy. So, um the whole concept of saving water to save energy uh, is is very important, um, and I know we, we keep mentioning California, but they are full of so many good stories. When they were experiencing their electric brownouts, you know, mm-hmm. back about five six years ago, uh, I went on television to urge people to save water because. They they had to shut off the state water project pumps in order to save electricity and make that electricity available to consumers. It was the largest user of electricity in the state, so they very much are connected. And what we really need to do, again, as part of our consumer education campaign, is make that obvious um, and um, make statistics that are that are cool little viral statistics. You know, make make that part of the public consciousness. It, it's so true.
0: Thank you, Marianne. That that was fascinating. And in fact, I think I'd like to do a whole show on on that topic. It's it's, it's a big topic, and I think it's it's something that everyday Americans can and should understand. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we've got a lot more uh, and some really cool topics coming up with Marianne on water efficiency and some of the ways that it may affect our agricultural uh, and our food supply. So don't go away, folks. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this.
1: News. News. Opinion. two views different topics questions answers, answers news and advice you'll want to check out eco man and the skeptic live from philadelphia university every week join hosts rob fleming and chris Pastor as they tackle a different topic on sustainability you'll hear all sides of the issue supported by guests who provide valuable insights get ready to be engaged educated and
2: entertained when you tune into eco man and the skeptic
1: Broadcast live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26 percent, 43 percent, or 14 percent? stimulating talk gets those synapses
0: in your brain firing really fast
1: all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com you're listening to go green radio with your host jill buck
0: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. If you're just joining us, our guest today is Marianne Dickinson, the president and CEO of the Alliance for Water Efficiency. I'd love for you to check out their website. It's www.allianceforwaterefficiency.org. If you're just joining us and you think, boy, I wish I would have caught the beginning of that show, don't worry because this episode will re-air on the Green Living Channel for Voice America next Tuesday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Pacific. That's new to one on the East Coast. Everybody in Mountain and Central, you can do your own math. But that's something that you can check out if you go to voiceamerica.com. Click on the Green Living channel. You can hear this episode again next Tuesday. Well, Mary Ann, just before the break, I alluded to this issue of water and our agricultural needs and food supply needs. And one of the most poignant stories that I've seen recently that that underscores this issue so so emphatically, um, is an extreme case of overpumping in India where their aquifers are being pumped at a much faster rate than they're naturally being replenished for farming use. And in fact, it got so bad that not long ago, farmers in India were protesting Coca-Cola plants because they felt like they were competing with Coke for clean water. Are we in danger of similar shortages of
2: agricultural water supplies in
0: the U.S.?
2: Well, Jill, the farmer in the United States has been dealing with droughts for centuries. Um, you know, from the Dust Bowl of the 30s uh, on out, uh, we have always had ups and downs in, in water supply and irrigation for, uh, for the farmers. Um, but in, in terms of what that means for the aquifers, um, yeah, we, we, have, uh, we have a management problem uh... For a long time, we've known that we're overpumping the uh, nation's largest aquifer, the Ogallala Aquifer, um, and this is an aquifer that underlies eight states and yields about 30 percent of the nation's groundwater. Um, our over withdrawals of that particular aquifer, and most of that's been agricultural withdrawals, it's been so serious that some estimates indicate that this aquifer could dry up in 25 years. Um, this should be a supply that should last hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, so we, we do have a problem in in the U.S. and uh, Central Valley in California and other you know agricultural regions around the country uh, also experience similar groundwater overdraft issues. Uh, but it is a solvable problem. Um, the first step is measuring you know what accurately measuring the agricultural water withdrawals and doing a water balance uh, so that we set up appropriate withdrawal levels that equal the recharge rates and so it, it coming in going out it's it's equivalent. Uh, we've done that in some groundwater basins uh, to great success. We need to do it everywhere. And we need to help the farmers with irrigation improvements, efficiency improvements, that will reduce the need for large amounts of water but still enable them to grow the crops that we all need in this country uh, for food. So it's um, it's a balancing act. It's it's there. There's lots of uh, water efficiency activity in the agricultural sector that's being managed by universities around the country. It's it's a very big research area. So it is something that's being looked at in terms of that efficiency potential. But fundamentally, it'll take I think some political will on the part of each of the states to set some standards for reducing that groundwater overdraft.
0: You know, I'm curious. I mean, there's no, as far as I know, owner of the particular aquifers that, I mean, you know, when they span eight states, like you mentioned, um, they're... Is there anybody in charge of that? I mean <laughs> how do we go about it? I mean is it truly going to have to be like teamwork collaboration or is there anybody who says, okay, um, I'm taking charge of this aquifer and we're not going to pump anything out of it that we can't replenish in the same amount of time. I mean h- how is this going to work realistically? Is it a joint powers
2: agreement kind of thing or you know well you could you could have interstate compacts uh, for management of the aquifer the way we have it for rivers you know that we have river basin compacts in this country mm-hmm. both for the Great Lakes, Delaware river basin, other parts of the country have entered into these kinds of interstate agreements and compacts um, and that's a mechanism that's possible for this as well but i think individual states also have to manage their their water agricultural water users and in many states there's no measurement required. The farmer's not required to report how much they pump, um, and that's the kind of uh, leadership I think needs to change in a, in a lot of states around the country. Where groundwater is regulated by the state or by, the, by EPA, that is already happening, but there are lots of places where it isn't, particularly in California and Texas.
0: Yeah, I mean, because you know what's going to happen. If you have an aquifer that is feeding eight different states, no one state is going to say, we're going to use less and let everybody else use whatever they want to and penalize their farmers i mean I, you know no one's going to do that i mean it, it's right. it, it, that that's just not going to happen politically i mean uh, you know that so it's going to have to be some kind of collaboration interesting is that something that you guys are brokering those kinds of relationships i mean no.
2: how do you get no. involved no, we are not getting involved in any of that kind of work. We Remember, we are a charitable nonprofit that's devoted towards education and research. And so uh, a lot of what you're talking about involves political negotiations, and there are many more people better suited to that than we are. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: don't be afraid, Marianne, because the NRDC <laughs> and Sierra Club are supposedly 501c3s too, so <laughs> they they uh, they get involved in all sorts of things like that. Well, um, you know, shifting gears from the agricultural sector to another sector that people are talking about quite a bit is manufacturing, and. A lot of manufacturing jobs have been lost in the U.S. Uh, a lot of people think that in order for our economy to fully recover, we need to bring back manufacturing jobs. But as you and I know, um, in many you know, instances, manufacturing tends to be pretty water intensive. From a water perspective, what do you think about that? I mean, do we have the water to recreate a robust manufacturing sector in this country?
2: Well, we once had a very robust manufacturing sector in this country, and we had the water to, to provide to it. So, you know, it, it's a question of management and, and, and uh, a priority. Uh, our history of manufacturing in this country was built on the availability of the water in our rivers, which we dammed for hydropower and for cooling water for those industries. And... The, if, as we recreate a manufacturing sector in the u s we have now the benefit of new technologies and new processes that are much more efficient than those of a hundred years ago. Once uh, through cooling is largely being eliminated and being retrofitted to continuous recycling of water. Uh, water used in industrial processing like metal plating, uh, can also be drastically reduced, and not only does it produce uh, use less water, but it produces less discharge and even less hazardous uh, discharge. Um, so I, I think yes, the answer is yes, because remember that over half of the developed drinking water supplies in this country actually go to residential use. Uh, according to the USGS reports, about 58% of our drinking water supply is actually used by households. So uh, industrial uses of water is a much smaller percentage uh, of that pie, and and it's a percentage that I think we can certainly, we certainly have available.
0: Great. Well, I think that's good news for the manufacturing sector. You know, let's talk about pricing for a minute because this is something, it's kind of the elephant in the room. You can't avoid, when you're talking about water, we talk about, oh, it's so cheap, it's so clean, we're so proud of that in the United States. But there are some who say, well, heck, if we just raise the price of water, people would conserve more. But the problem with that, of course, is that water is essential to life. And if we price it out of the reach of of the poor and impoverished, which have You know, we've really seen an increase in the number of those folks in our country in the last three, four years. If we price water to the point where people have trouble, you know, getting enough to drink, to cook, to bathe, um, then that's just unjust. So how does the Alliance for Water Efficiency approach this very sensitive topic of pricing?
2: we 're really interested in this topic, uh, and we 're interested in helping to change the way water is priced in this country. Um, we essentially are charging for water the same way we did seventy five years ago. We charge based on unit blocks of water sold you know for a long time. The more water you bought, the cheaper it got um, and so it didn 't really represent what the true costs were for providing uh, water to, say, you know, basic lifeline service versus, you know, profligate use for uh, uh, excessive irrigation. Um, what, what we need to do and what we are hoping to do some research this next year to provide is to move toward a model of, of charging based on the true cost of service, which means the long-term cost of providing additional water supplies for high water users. That needs to be part of that rate structure. And those especially poor families who use just basic water for services like drinking water and cooking, that should always be at a very reasonable price. Those who waste water and use very large volumes should be charged more because it's that higher use that's driving the need for additional water supply capacity. Um, And and we do want to be sensitive to the significant concern about water, you know, available water for the poor. Uh, But I I have to re-say again, water is the best bargain that we have in this country. It is very affordable compared to what people, poor people in other countries pay for clean water. We pay next to nothing. Um, I think it's worthwhile to say that bottled water is probably about equivalent to about $10 a gallon if you Add up, you know, what the little plastic bottles are on a gallon-sized basis. But compare that to what you pay for a gallon at your household from your tap. It's about three hundredths of a penny per gallon. (laughs) So it's really very, very cheap. Even the most expensive water rate in this country for very high water users is really only about two cents a gallon, and that's like the highest water rate I have found anywhere in the country. It's very, very cheap. And uh again I, I, I wanna urge your listeners to read Charles Fishman's book, The Big Thirst, because he really talks about this perception problem we've got in this country, uh, where Americans who pay probably not more than about four hundred dollars a year for public drinking water think it's too much. They pay three times that for their cell phone but they don't want to pay it for their water. It, it really remains water is the best bargain, uh, not only in this country, but in the entire world. So we need to keep that in perspective, I think. Is there any particular municipality
0: or water uh, service area that you think has done a great job of modeling a good pricing structure that you would recommend as sort of a case study of success?
2: Well, it's interesting you ask that question because that's, precisely the the research project we want to do beginning next year. We've gotten some funding from a foundation to do that, and we're going to be convening a panel of rate experts around the country to inventory the best examples that we can perhaps promote as, as new best practices. Uh, oh, we also want to inventory what this driver is that water utilities worry about, which is that they don't make enough revenue when people conserve, and so then they have to raise rates and they tell the customer, well, yes, you conserve, but now we have to raise your rate because you conserve. These are conflicting negative messages, and that's yeah. the other part of what we want this research project to look at is how we get out of that conundrum.
0: Yeah, that's actually the situation that, that I myself live in. In the Northern California area, we were told to conserve. Um, everybody did such a great job of that, that now they're saying, oh, good job. And now your rates are going up because you conserved to the point that we didn't make revenue based on your usage, but we still have to keep up our infrastructure and, you know, the salaries for those who work here. And so as a result of your conservation, we're going to have to get revenue from some other, uh, way of, rather than just use so we're raising the rates and a lot of consumers just are livid you know that that has happened and yep. yet if you look at the balance sheet of the water agency it, it makes sense from their perspective but you're right I think that's an exciting project and we'll definitely have to get back with you um, to yep. see what the results of that are we've got to take, 40- right. take a quick commercial break right we've got to take a quick commercial break Mary but we have one more segment so please don't go away folks there's much more Go Green Radio right after this
1: For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com.
0: Hey, did you know Voice America has partnered with
2: the KidStar Network to expand their reach through Voice America Kids? Voice America Kids will feature talk radio for kids, by kids, along with special event programming and live broadcasts. Each program is conveniently archived for on-demand listening at any time. Please check our archives for the latest events and happenings on voiceamericakids.com.
1: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
0: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Our guest today is Marianne Dickinson, President and CEO of the Alliance for Water Efficiency. You can check out their website at www.allianceforwaterefficiency.org. You know, this is a topic that Some people who watch Water Issues know about. Some private citizens don't know anything about this. But I'd like to know your thoughts, Marianne, on private versus public ownership of water. What are some of the pros and cons of having private corporations involved in water management?
2: Well, I think one of the things people need to recognize is that we already have quite a bit of private uh, involvement in water management now. Uh, Nearly 73 million people in the U.S., Uh, receive their drinking water from a private water company versus a public municipal supply. And these customers have very successfully been receiving that water for many decades. Um, And and often private water company delivery is the best solution in areas where there isn't sufficient commitment or capacity in local government to provide that drinking water delivery. So this is a model that we've developed over the the decades and it's it's worked uh, well. We have many private water companies in this country that do uh, a fine job. But that's not the heart of your question, I think. I, I, I think what you're really asking about is the raging debate over whether water is a public trust good and whether mm-hmm. water should be a right, a human right for all people versus a commodity which can be bought, sold, and traded mm-hmm. uh, in a privatized water environment. Um, uh, this is a global issue, and there are lots of people who have been talking about this and who have been raising these issues at the World Water Forums, which are held every two years. Authors like Mar Barlow have uh, been very eloquent on this topic. Um, we at the Alliance are not focusing on that issue. We are trying to focus on the water being efficiently used, no matter who owns it. Uh, mm-hmm. We think that's important message for us to start with uh, but but this is a, a very big issue um, that is being discussed globally um, there are lots of uh, movements to to stress that the water should be declared a, a public resource and a public good in many states in the country water is actually uh, owned by the state and it says so in either the Constitution document or in, in state statute so water is uh, it's, is primarily viewed as as a, an important public resource uh, from a Resource management standpoint in this country. Mm -hmm.
0: I I want to touch on an article that I read in the Associated Press on December 2nd of this year. I tweeted about it because it gave me tremendous pause, and and maybe it's because I'm a former naval officer and national security issues are uh, always on the forefront of my mind, but I'd like to get your reaction to this. This was the opening paragraph of the article. It says, the sun-baked northern states of Mexico are suffering under the worst drought since the government began recording rainfall 70 years ago. Crops of corn, beans, and oats are withering in the fields. About 1.7 million cattle have died of starvation and thirst. Hardest hit are the five states in Mexico's north, a region that's being parched by the same drought that has dried out the southwest United States. What do you think about that, Marianne? What comes to your mind?
2: What comes to mind is Texas. Mm-hmm. That's what comes to my mind because they're experiencing the exact same conditions. And these conditions are increasingly becoming global. It's it's not just, you know uh reserved for areas like the Middle East or, or the arid parts of Africa. We we are finding these kinds of, of drought stories occurring everywhere. Uh experts like Peter Glick of the Pacific Institute and Sandra Postel of the Global Water Policy Project, these two have been writing about global water scarcity for a long time. And uh largely unaware, the, the average American person is unaware of, of what is going on in all of these locations. They don't really think about it until it comes home. And in Texas now, it has really come home. The uh, the loss of livestock in Texas has been extraordinary. It's running in the billions of dollars. Uh, and now that we're experiencing it here in the U.S., it's becoming much more real to us, and it's, it's creating a situation where we're looking at, you know, is this a long-term phenomenon, or, or is this just a once in a lifetime occurrence.
0: Well, and I'll tell you, you I've done a lot of work in China, and when there's drought in certain parts of China, people move to where there's water um, when it gets extreme. And so, you know, if these kinds of instances become the norm rather than the exception, we may be looking at global population shifts to where they can get this most basic need water and so uh, it'll be interesting to watch and see what happens here um, but but I think that we do need to become more aware of what's happening with our water supply um, you know another trend that we're seeing globally is this trend of urbanization people moving into urban areas uh, in your opinion is water planning for this kinda of population shift keeping up pace with the needs of that population movement
2: Well, again, this is a global issue, and we're seeing that the shift to the cities, you know, people moving from the agricultural environment to the cities, it's it's becoming a serious stressor on the water systems, the drinking water and sanitation systems in cities. Um, At the Alliance, we've done a little bit of work in Manila, in the Philippines, Mm -hmm. where historically part of the city is losing over 50% of its drinking water through leaks in the pipes in the system, and where a full third of the city, this is a city of 18 million people, a full third of the city doesn't even have sanitary sewers. So as people move from the Philippines and from the agricultural areas into the city of Manila, uh, they're right. There isn't the capacity of these systems to keep up with it. We are coping much better in the United States than in other countries around the world, but um, we're we're seeing and and you mentioned China, and certainly India is another example, are two countries that are facing this issue head- on. Um the good news is that from a planning perspective there is a movement called Cities of the Future uh that is incorporating and advocating smart water solutions, um, you know, making sure that we're building systems that are uh, able to cope with you know these rapid growth in these urban areas. Um and I think um from From our perspective uh, we we see the leakage that happens in these in these systems all around the world as being this unsaid unsung uh, problem um, globally it's a serious concern. The amount of water we leak every day through the pipes can be anywhere from fifty to eighty percent in some of these countries uh, even in the u s where we have systems that are much better managed, we tend to look the other way and not accurately tally what we're losing to leakage in our systems. We, we love to guess at what the reasons are rather than mm-hmm. systematically evaluating exactly where that water is being lost. And well, so Marianne, the, the new-
0: speaking of that, you know, in the minute or so that we have left, I want you to talk about what are some of the, maybe the top two or three things that our listeners can do in the short term. Maybe it's fix their leaky pipes. But what are the two or three things they could do short-term to promote sustainable water use in their
2: communities? Okay. Um, Since most of your listeners are probably consumers in their own right, they need to go and buy WaterSense label products. That will be the most water-efficient solution for plumbing fixtures and for Energy Star clothes washers. Make sure that whatever product they're putting in their house is efficient. Manage their outdoor irrigation appropriately. Uh, get their local community to adopt measures to infiltrate as much stormwater as possible so that we recharge our aquifers. And uh, the last thing I want to close with is a commercial. Check us out at uh, AllianceForWaterEfficiency.org. Sign up for our free email list. Like us on Facebook. Um, have your organization, your city join us. And, um, and and stay in touch with us watch for the launch of our home water works website in January which will have lots of tips for the average consumer that they can undertake to make their own water use at home more efficient Thanks so much, Marianne. It was great having you on the
0: show. and In fact, I really want to have you back on. There were several other questions I'd have loved to ask you, and so we'll have to do that again soon. Folks, uh, once you uh, get a chance to to do so, check out their website at allianceforwaterefficiency.org. And remember that uh, we'll be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. So until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green.